Heather McDonald has got the juices scoop. When you're on the road, when you're on the go, Juicy Scoop is the show to know. She talks Hollywood tales, her real-life mister segment, serial data, and serial sister. You'll be addicted and addicted fast to the number one tabloid real-life podcast. Listen in, listen up. Woo-woo. Heather McDonald. Juicy Scoop. Hello and welcome to Juicy Scoop. I am wearing my lady lawyer uh, outfit today because there's lots of juicy law stuff to go over. And then I have the hilarious Jen Kirkman, who is going to tell us her uh, account of what she thinks of going on with the Johnny Depp trial, as well as her Louis C.K. story that she tells us from beginning to end. Totally fascinating. Very juicy. Also, her predictions of what she'd like to see happen in And Just Like That, which is the Sex and City remake. So it's a super juicy show. First, let me get into our first trial. This is Black China versus Kim, Chloe, Chris, and Kylie. Okay. I cannot believe that this is like a full jury trial. It is super juicy. So it's only been since Monday. And first, it started with jury selection. And th- and this one guy, if you've ever been in jury selection, both sides kind of ask you questions to see if they think that you would be okay and that you could be non-biased or possibly be good for their side. This one guy was like mid-50s. They asked, are you familiar with the reality show Keeping Up with the Kardashians or any of those Kardashians? And the guy said, well, I have never watched Keeping Up with Kardashians, the reality show, but I did watch Kim Kardashian's sex tape. And Then more questions went on, and he goes, I really just think I need to be excused because I cannot think about anything but her sex tape while she sits here in the jury. I mean, as I sit here in the jury. Anyway, he did get dismissed. They got enough jurors. And that night, um, Black China's mom, who's been very controversial in the past, her name's Tokyo Tony, and uh, (laughs) and she has... Done a lot of things on Instagram. She went on Instagram Live last night saying about how all the Kardashians didn't look good and their filler in their face that had uh, little divots in it that they need to fill. And she also said that Chris Jenner looks like um, the Jigsaw, the puppet from his name's Jigsaw from Saw. Uh, that is who I've been compared to more times than Caitlyn Jenner. It's been those Caitlyn Jenner and the jigsaw puzzle um, puppet guy is who people think I look the most like. So I find it flattering at this point that Chris is also, I feel like it's anybody that kind of has high cheekbones and these are my cheekbones. They have never been filled. They think I look like um, that puppet. The puppet did star in the Saw series, and I believe there were seven of them. So it was a very successful actor. So thank you for that. Anyway, she's crazy. In it, she says, I'm going to get you, Judge, and says, you know, some negative things, saying, oh, they're scary and this and that. So this morning, the judge said, Tokyo Tony can no longer be in the courtroom because of these threats that she's made towards the judge and towards Kardashians, and Chris doesn't feel comfortable. And then Tokyo Tony says, well, I'm a comedian. You know, I do. That's my I was doing a set. I was doing my comedy set. So forget about our show about Cancel House, which, by the way, someone sent me something that I think Piers Morgan is doing a version of Cancel House. 
Chris Vangelo is going to lose his shit. My other thing is um, getting reality stars to be stand-up comics. That's going to be the new new show. So we can add um, Tony – what's her name? Tokyo Tony, Farrah Abraham. Uh, let's see. Well, Joe Judice is already doing it. Sonia Morgan, she's already kind of doing it. I heard Bethany Frankel wants to do it. And I want to say there's like someone else that was trying to do stuff. Anyway, we've almost got a full house, okay? We'll find a cute rental in Chatsworth, and then Chris and I will come in and help these people cultivate their sets. Getting back to the juiciest trial. Okay, so let me get back to it. So uh, right now, let me just tell you what the trial basically is. You probably recall that uh, Black China and Rob got together. She got pregnant, and they got their own reality show. Clearly something I think Black China probably really wanted because right before Black China came into the picture, Rob had already been very recluse for years, not appeared on the show. He goes, yes, I'll be on the show. I'm in love with Black China. Let's do it. She gets pregnant. We see it for one season. We see them fighting. We see her throwing pots and plants, whatever. But then they make up like over a, a barbecue chicken or something. So now she she is saying that they were all set to do another season and she was going to make all this money. But her attorneys believe that Chris, Kylie, Kim, and Chloe used their media power to convince E and the showrunners of the Black China and Rob show to not renew it for the second year. And therefore, she's missed out on $40 million and $60 million in future earnings. So she is suing the Kardashians for $1 million. And her attorneys are saying, we believe this to be true because they allege that they have some evidence of tax. I assume they've got to show it to say it. I don't know saying it was in her opening statement. So China's lawyer is saying that allegedly Kris Jenner set out to have season two of Rob and China canceled, followed by an alleged dispute between Rob and China. So they had this supposed fight in December of 2016. Rob said, you know, they're, they're saying Rob was physically assaulted. There was a phone cord wrapped around his neck. She, he was hit with something in the face. China says, all I did was uh, bash in a door and break two gingerbread houses. The Kardashians are very big on sending friends and people these beautiful gingerbread houses. Um, but after that dispute, they said that um, China's lawyer claims that Chris then sent a slew of texts to the series showrunner, allegedly, allegedly calling China stupid, accusing her of being drunk for three days, describing her as really ghetto, and suggesting that they should ditch a bitch. I really want to see evidence of this because for somebody who um, knows Kris Jenner and has texted with Kris Jenner and has hung out with Kris Jenner, that is not her vocabulary. But anyway, during his opening statement, the Kardashians lawyer, Michael Rhodes, also showed alleged 2017 text from China to Rob sent just a few months after that split. Remember, that was December 2016. So in February 2017. Rhodes claims that in addition to writing F.U., China also allegedly texted It's Over and called Rob a fat bitch, adding that his disgusting sex is horrible. Rhodes also said that the alleged text came on the very same day that E! News executives were still trying to save the show. So 
um, he claims that E and the production company encouraged Rob and China to try to work things out and go to a retreat together since E was coming to a close and the deadline option of picking up season two. He also showed alleged texts from a Bunham Murray executive letting Chris know that they found a retreat to the former for the former couple and stated that the family was on board with pausing the show to save their relationship. So they're saying Chris and everybody was like, yes, go on this ret- retreat. Like, hopefully you'll be together and we continue on with the show. But in this state, we need to put a pause. Well, then in July of 2017, Rose noted that China and her then lawyer at the time, Lisa Bloom, who's right in the building next door, filed a temporary restraining order against Rob, which meant they could no longer be in the same room. This, as Rose explained, came shortly before, um, oh, sorry, shortly before the official deadline for the show's second season in August. So if a restraining order is issued in July... And the executives are sitting around and saying, should we renew season two of Rob and China about a couple in love that's supposed to be funny and having it? So obviously that would give people them to go, maybe not. So right before their trial was set, oh, we saw that part about China. So that's basically where we're at. And um, so so that that's... That's where it's at. It's like she, Black China is saying, no, that you got it canceled. And they also said in another article I read, um, the Kardashians attorney said that E paid um, China $100,000 for a like a quit fee. Like there must have been an offer. uh, There must be an option in the contract that says, and if we choose to end it, um, you will still get $100,000, even though we're not going to film the second season. That's what I'm guessing and they already had paid her like 300,000 for the first season and then another 100 when the show ended China saying that you that they then said cancel this show that the lady said cancel the show the Kardashians um because we don't think it's good for Rob and we don't like China and we want instead we will give keeping up with Kylie or when Kylie had her one show for that life of Kylie she had a season with Jordan Woods, her former best friend, where they just kind of like did fun things. They went to some proms and did some charity work. And she did something really nice for a friend of mine's daughter. They did that show. And that only ran one season, too. So Black China is claiming that they made that happen and thus screwed her out of all this money. She would have been the biggest reality star ever. According to Tokyo Tony, her mother, she was going to put the real back in reality TV. I mean... Um, I think there, this is going to be a juicy thing to see because yes, I would think they would have tried to settle, but at the same time, the fact, just like Johnny Depp, that all of them are there every day in court, I think they really want to get what they believe their truth is out. Um, it's crazy. Their daughter's five. Um, oh, also in one of the houses that they were at, it was Kylie had given, um, the house for Robin China to live in, and she had completely decorated it with Christmas decorations and stuff. And then the horrible fight happened. She'd even decorated a nursery for Dream. This is before Kylie was a mom because Stormy's only four. And um, it seemed like they were really trying. And I even remember when they were first got together, how Chris said, "I I love that China's with my son Rob. He is out. He's happy. He's going to this deli." This is wonderful. So I actually think they were really encouraging 
in my opinion, to this relationship when it began. But we all saw how destructive and awful it got. And we all saw when she moved out and he walked around with his camera and he was on Instagram and he's, you know, saying, I can't believe everything is gone. And people were joking that it was like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Like they, they did memes of Black China, like a Grinch, like taking all the gifts and all the babies. So he was pretty heartbroken. And then, uh, yeah. Did she? I don't know. It, it, listen, it wasn't a relationship to last a lifetime or even a second season of a reality show. But apparently the her lawyers would not be going this far unless they feel that they have some real evidence to sway a jury into believing to their side. So super juicy with that. Um, on Potomac News, Ashley Darby has announced that she and her husband, Michael Darby, are separated. If you're not familiar with this reality show, this couple, it was such a mismatch. They were about 25 years apart. He is this older white Australian guy. She's this beautiful black girl. And they had two little boys close in age. And he was, uh, she admitted that they, that she was bisexual, that they were swingers, well, not swingers, but they'd bring in like an extra girl sometimes. Um, there was uh, there was uh, alleged things where he was uh, pursuing guys on the side. He was obsessed with Robin Dixon's husband, um, Juan, obsessed with him. He was accused of grabbing the ass of a cameraman. Then he got caught with um, a stripper in a hotel room, though he said they just talked and took a nap. Anyway... <laughs> It came out yesterday. They're currently filming, so I'm sure it'll be part of the season that we see. Um, she's a very cute girl. Everyone's very happy to see her move on. Uh, there is a big back history to some stuff I heard about them. That'll be on Patreon. <laughs> so go to HeatherMcDonald.net and click on Patreon. Join that. Change your life. Now for my very juicy interview with Jen. We go a little bit deeper into some of the Johnny Depp trial stuff. Um a couple things that came up that I didn't get to talk about with Jen that I just want to say that I just read about is we did hear the story about the fecal matter. The fecal matter story between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is that they were fighting and he was going to go back to the house to pick up some things. And his security said, I don't think it's a good idea that you come here right now. We found something under the covers that's very disturbing. And there was a pretty decent size shit in the middle of where he would normally sleep in the bed. And they'd covered it with a blanket. Like, so he'd just crawl in there and get snuggly. And there'd be a poo waiting for him. Amber has since said, I did not do that. It must have been one of our little Yorkies. But according to people that are big on Yorkies, and they've looked at the evidence, they said the poo was too large for a Yorkie poo. I don't know. He, in recalling the story on the stand, kind of chuckled about it. I, you know, this was one of many weird things that he went through with her. Um, he also said when he got married that his daughter, who was 15 at the time, she's 22 now, Lily Rose, did not want to come to the wedding. She did not get along with Amber um, at all. Uh, there, the thing, whole thing about the finger, they share the audio from the the fact that, I guess, he was taping her or she was taping him, but there's audio of her talking um, about, well, one about the how he cut his finger. He got into that about the vodka bottles. But then there's another audio about how she said, don't be such a baby. I didn't punch you. And he said, yes, you did. And she goes, no, I was hitting you. 
I wasn't punching you. That's on audio. And so he is on, and it's all about the abuse that he suffered at the hands of Amber, not what she claimed, where she was a victim of him. So, oh, and then the last thing was, is when she, she, he said at one point she was hitting him. And so he had to hold her like in a bear hug. And then she said to him, you broke my nose. And she brought out this tissue that had what he thought had blood on it. And he goes, what? What do we, what do you mean? I, I, I didn't mean to, what's going on? And he went into the bathroom. He says this on the stand and he found the tissue that she was holding and it had red nail polish on it. So this is just gonna, I'm sure he's going to do another day tomorrow. Jen and I go a little bit more about the psychologically of their, their psychology of their relationship in his childhood and then the Louis C.K. story, and then some Sex in the City. So we still have a huge show. Here we go with Jen Kirkman. Hello, and welcome to Juicy Scoop. I'm here with a very good friend that I've had for a long time. She's on the East Coast, comedian, podcaster, author, TV writer, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to Juicy Scoop. Heather, I've missed you. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize you did Zoom ones. I mean, I'm sure you don't want like too many people doing it. It's probably annoying. Um, <laughs> so I would have totally, although no, my schedule wouldn't permit. I was going to say I should have totally jumped on and Zoomed with you about Sex in the City too. But anyway, I'm so no, glad wait, I can be I wanna, here today. I want to ask about that. But we have a lot to cover. Yeah, there's you. a lot okay? to catch up on. We yes. are going to get into uh, <sighs> the biggest thing that's going on. You have a direct connection to our boy Johnny Depp, I do. Um, yes, <laughs> through your, through someone very close to you. Oh, that's right. Yes. I um, do. Okay, so I I just checked the latest. Um, I was on just it. watching before we came on, and it was so it was like it was like God intervened because they just went on a lunch break, and I saw the last. I just watched the last of Johnny's testimony right before I logged on with you. So anyway, I'm real so, caught up. So I, I did catch everybody up on um, Tuesday's show. So now Johnny is on his second day of testimony. And what we covered um, yesterday was just really, and his sister testified to this too, which is really interesting, is they set the stage for what his childhood was like. Besides being raised as a su- Southern gentleman, in which he says, I've never touched a woman, hit a woman, never, ever which is what the, the lawsuit is about. He's suing her for $50 million because she wrote this article saying she was a victim of domestic abuse. And he feels that's why he can no longer get work. And she's countersuing him for $100 million. So we're in court. And he establishes the fact that his mother was verbally and physically abusive. His father never fought back with his mother. And the father finally, when Johnny was 15, said, I can't take it anymore, moved out, left. Mm. But... What was also interesting is that he still had a great love for his mother because he said, when Amber and I got married, she had about three months to live and we wanted to make sure that we had the actual like real or, you know, legal ceremony in her presence at her home. And then we had the big fancy wedding, I guess, in the Bahamas where he has this island. So that shows a lot that he still... But it's very interesting to me because so – I was just talking about this with my son. Like so many people marry their mother or marry their father or have a similar dynamic in their own marriage as the one that they witnessed in their home. And sometimes it can be very positive. Sometimes yeah. it can be quirky or funny. And then sometimes it can be really bad. You guys know I travel a lot, usually to get on a plane to see you to do a show. 
and I have a very hard time deciding what to bring. And I'm going to admit it, I'm an overpacker. That's okay, because this holiday season, Away offers a range of suitcases, bags, and other travel essentials made for different types of travelers, from the overpackers, that's me, to the minimalists, to the travel expert, to everyone in between. With its versatile collection of suitcases, bags, and travel accessories, Away offers the perfect holiday gifts for every traveler. I just got the medium size. That is the perfect size, and it's not too big. It still lets me overpack and come home and be like, "Mm, I didn't wear those things. I don't care. Because every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help me pack even more and hidden and removable laundry bag that separates my dirty laundry. But what I really love is the four 360 spinner wheels, guaranteeing the smoothest roll even through the most hectic of airports and stations. It really makes the whole experience less exhausting having this great bag. Also, there's a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. So take the product on the road. Live with it. Travel with it. Get lost with it for 100 days. If you decide it's not the bag for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. Okay? No ifs, ends, or buts. This holiday season, gift away at awaytravel.com slash juicy. That's awaytravel.com slash juicy. Mm-hmm. So I am really, a, I'm a student of psychology. I mean, not li- literally, I'm not going to say yeah. but I'm obsessed with this kind of thing. And I do have some experience in, let's just say my family, not nothing happened to me, but others out, you know, mm-hmm. in my family. And with someone who's abused, they will always side with the abuser. That's a very common thing with kids is because like you can't see your parents as bad. It'll like your brain won't let you. So you have to have all the sympathy for them. And he probably, so whatever he did to soothe himself, and I've been reading, he started taking his mom's nerve pills when he was 11. And and it's funny because I do remember him talking on talk shows about how much he loved his mother, the single mom, the waitress. And so I always thought, oh, his mom was a single mom because the dad was a jerk and he left. And it's like he left because he was abused. So this all makes sense that like it's very believable that he was abused because when he said, when he first met Amber Heard and they kissed on set, right. and he said, I felt something I shouldn't have been feeling, like there was an attraction between them, that can be sometimes like a traumatic like thing in his like DNA going off like that feels so intense. Like it's he doesn't even have to know that Amber Heard was going to eventually abuse him. Like some primal thing was going off that's like part of the attraction. So I think this all lines up. This is my... Um, armchair psychology degree, but I think it is so, and even the, I'm looking on Twitter and, and victims of this kind of thing are saying the way he's talking is how a victim and someone with PTSD talks. Like he, he's having trouble. He doesn't want to feel the feelings that come up remembering it. And he's really ashamed. And I think, I mean, I completely believe him. I, I mean, I definitely believe what everything he's saying on the stand is true. In, yeah. in you know, in his recollection, and he says, you know, um, I, I stayed longer than I should because she, you know, also said that she was suicidal, something that my mother would do, and the dramatics uh. of it all. And then he gets into the drug use, and um, 
Look, we all knew that he had a problem with drugs and alcohol. And, um, well, he claims he does. it wasn't really alcohol, but he was a, a practicing pirate for many years. So clearly he's going to like a boozy night. What does he mean his own alcohol? He spent like 30 grand a month on wine. That was a story that was out like years ago. We did it yeah, on but Chelsea. Kinda, he's kind of saying, though, like, well, I wasn't, you know, I wouldn't pass. I wasn't um, drinking where I'd throw up. I would pass out because of these of the met, you know, of these pills, oh, and he I talks see. about the opiates, and yes, he he obviously had an issue with both of it, you know. Um, but you know, he's also fun, and she also, he said, every time he came home, it was interesting when he, the way he's recollect, recalling like the the beginning part of their relationship. As you said, they were working on this movie. He was still in his fourteen year relationship with the mother of his children, Vanessa. And they had a, a love scene where they make out, and there was a real chemistry there. And he said at the time, I was with Vanessa. She was with her wife. You know, yeah. she's been bisexual and had relationships with men and women. Then she came back to a trailer that night, and they made out again. Yeah. And and then that was it. I kind of don't know if that's true. But anyway, um, who uh, yeah. knows? So then she leaves, and then we really didn't talk again until press two years later. And then by that time, I guess they were both available to pursue it. And then he goes, and then when it first started, it was amazing. I'd come home from a long day of shooting something, and she would bring me a, a glass of wine, and she re- would remove my boots. You know, and I'm just imagining, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean boots, like. <laughs> <laughs> so dirty and smelly. Yes. And so he goes, and then one time I came home, and she was doing something. She was on the phone or something. So I sat down, and I took off my own boots, and she came over angry and said, what are you doing? That's my job. I thought that was just so manipulative and weird and such a sign that men and women do when they love bomb and, Mm. you know, and then all of a sudden it changes, you know, like, oh, oh my God, I came home to flowers and wine and this and that. And then it's like this, and especially with a girl that's kind of trying to become like a chameleon that, that he falls in love with. Like her assistant said, oh, he, she was dressing like him. She wanted yes. her apartment to look bohemian. She got rid of her paper books and was trying to curate a, a beautiful hardcover first edition, you know, great stuff of literature that he bought her. And like just that that whole thing that people do that all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I love red vines. He loves red vines. We're perfect for it. I mean, like. Yes. It's just, it reminds me of like, yeah, like I'm not, a, I don't really love true crime. It freaks me out, but I do know the Dirty John story. And you think yes. of like, this guy was like homeless in a trailer, yes. a drug addict pretending to be a doctor, but he was so good to her at first. And then the minute that person commits that you're yeah. love bombing, they turn. And this happened to a friend of mine, like in a relationship with someone for a year. And then once she was like, okay, I'm in love with you. Let's do this. He became a crazy psycho. And it's like, you can't believe it's happening at first. You're like, maybe, I don't know. Like, I think it takes a long time to, to realize this is them and they're not going through something and who knows. But it's, well, it's amazing they find the right victim, though, that will put up with it. Well, also, the beginning of it is so fantastic and something that you've never experienced with any other relationship that you yeah. chase it. You're like, well, we yeah. were here once. There's got to be a way to get back to that oh, incredible brilliant. time of taking off my boots and serving me wine versus her saying to him, who would ever want you in a Dior ad? You're a fat old man and you and your friends are boring playing guitar. Like, where did where did that Ugh. go? And I think that's where he was just like, what is happening? And then again, struggling with getting off the opiates and and, you know, 
all that is what I think he's trying to display on the stand. Now, I will say this because I get more shit from my fans than anyone gets from their fans. Like, my fans hate me. And I know your fans won't do this to me, but mine will probably tune in. And and I can hear it now. You speak out against all these abusers. And I can't believe you just because you think he's cute. You think I'm like, no, I, I thought that he was the abuser at first. Totally believed it. Then I know people that know her. I know it's all hearsay, but that she's been a little problematic in life before this kind of a verbal abuser in relationships. Now, again, hearsay. Now, again, people will say, well, what about their therapist that says there was mutual abuse? I don't think that was a very good wording on her part. There is a thing when you're a victim where you will fucking snap and you might throw something back and like... Yes, drugs, who knows what can happen when you're under the influence. But he's been on drugs and drinking the whole life. And his other partners say he didn't do this. Now, we do know that he trashed a hotel room with Kate Moss. I don't know if there was violence towards each other or they're just high and trashing things because they thought it was funny. Like, I don't know. But I'm just here to say I support the fact that men can be abused by women. I think that's very important. And it does sound like he was abused. I don't think it was mutual, like Sid and Nancy, they're beating each other up. But I will, I'm not trying to sound like anti-woman. I just think this is one of those cases where she might be a sociopath. So everyone can send me hate mail and goodbye. Um, okay, now in her defense, he said on the stand today, he said, you know, he's trying to get off these opiate drugs, opiates, drugs, I'm saying it right, and um through this doctor, Dr. Kipler, who also I mentioned treated Ozzy Osbourne and Ozzy in the end said he wasn't happy with the treatment, but whatever. So, you know, oh. and it's it's a, med, a, a form of different medications to wean you off of the pain that happens when you try to get off of these very addictive painkillers. And so he said it's 2.30 and he's like, can you, can you please give me my meds to, to Amber? And she's like, no, it's not four o'clock yet. Like, that's not four o'clock. And so mm. then he goes on to say, you know, how awful it was. And he gets in great detail of coming off these drugs. And as someone who has never been addicted to drugs or alcohol, it is definitely something I never want to experience. It's a good lesson for people to watch this and be very careful with it because it does sound hell painful. Yeah. But in her defense, like, Okay, the doctor said four o'clock. Like, if I give it to you at two thirty, is tomorrow you going to ask for it at two? Like, are we going backwards? She's not a medical doctor. She's not an addiction expert. She's trying to be the good partner. I mean, that would be my defense if I was her. Like, yeah, does this sound like it was a fun weekend in the Bahamas? No, it wasn't. You know, no, of course, yeah. With I it, mean, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of was because I do feel like right now it's like. Definitely. I mean, the, the the fans are lined up. There's people dressed like um, some of his favorite characters. They said no one's Jack Sparrow, but they're like a, some 17-year-old kid that's dressed like, um, what's the, the Vegas one? Oh, Leaving Las Vegas? No. Not Leaving. It the was Rum the, Diary? No. No, where he has the, the glasses. He's like 70s and oh. drugs. and Yes, I don't yeah, remember It's all name. about drugs. I never loved that movie, by the way. No. Um, but wait, why is no one dressed as Captain Jack the most fun one? I don't know. They just said there's no they the, according to is it, I think page 6 they haven't they just said there's other people dressed up as things and people have spent money to get there and their fans outside and their fans waiting. That's a waiting little and, crazy. Yes. And um, Is anyone dressed like scissor hands with scissors for hands wearing <laughs> leather? 
I also predict that SNL will probably, I don't know if SNL will mock this because the subject is so serious. Yeah. But if I was on SNL, I'd be pitching that we do the trial and in the back are Scissor Hands, Captain Jack, <laughs> Benny and June, 21 <laughs> Jump Street, just like, <laughs> just like all the people like, and with like notepads, like acting very serious, but they're in these costumes. That would be I amazing. think the funniest thing is, this is different than other trials I've seen where the they the lawyer asks you a question and they just let you keep talking. Like so they'll be like how did you meet Amber Heard and he starts with the meeting he had with Hunter S. Thompson to make a movie of his book, The Rum Diaries. Like, and then you commit suicide. And then, well, then um, he was, so we found this director who um, he did, said he never wanted to direct again, but he really loved the project. And so, and then he just, I'm like, they asked how you met. Like, clearly the answer is she auditioned for the movie. But he goes into these like long things. And then he was like, I tuned in to the trial, like in the middle of it. And the first thing I saw was he was like, Coming up with the character of Jack Sparrow was like, it's like a soup. It's a little bit Keith Richards. It's a little bit Pepe Le Pew. Um, his brain was scrambled from being in the sun. And um, yeah, and I'm like, what are they asking him? Like, I, he is just, well, it's I like a be- master class in, in how movies are made. I love it. Well, the way I understand it from, from not being a lawyer is that in this particular type of a case, because it's not like a murder trial, yeah. he is getting questioned by his own attorney. And so she's allowing him to go on and on and on and on and not saying, hey, get to the point like a prosecutor would with like a murder person. And so and they're just sitting back taking notes, Amber's people, so that they can combat what he has said. Um, But so right now, like he can ramble. And I think they realize that. It's up to the jury to, to for the jury to decide, does he get money? Does she get money? Does no one get money? So I think the more that they can show him being uh, – telling his story of, like, what he's been yeah. through from drug rehab, from being a delight on set to his relationships to his true love that he had for Amber, calling her misheard, showing the pain that he has when he's, like – Again, sort of trying to protect her in certain situations. Oh, and I, I hate to yeah. reveal this part of the story, but um, you know, she was um, just chopping some carrots or <laughs> doing something in the kitchen. I said, "May I please, please have my meds now?" And and you know, it's like this long and and we're like seeing through theater. Like it's like so they're, you know, that's what's gonna happen. You want them to be on your side. So she's the attorney's that just makes like. Sense. Yeah. Also, well, I'm going to say a little something, and people may or may not like it. I've noticed yeah. a little flirty between him and the brunette uh, attorney. Oh, I haven't. Oh, I, I'm going to. He's have got to... a very pretty brunette for attorney. I'm not saying they're having an affair or anything. I'm just but saying some if something was there. to happen, yeah, a year and a half from now, I would not be surprised. He's he, of course, he's a southern gentleman, so he's he's offering her a mint. He's Aww. laughing with her. He always makes sure that he gets out first from the car and holds and lets the ladies out. He's the one that shuts the door, not the security guard, not the driver. Um, okay. I think that is a natural thing. There's certain men that are just raised that way and they just do it. It's just automatic, which I love. Um, but there is a little of that. Okay. So now how old is she, though? This she lawyer. looks like she's like 
I mean, from what I've seen of her just sitting next to him, this particular, he has a few attorneys. He has the male attorney and then this girl. I don't think she looks older than 40, to, in my opinion. Okay, well, because yeah. it could be good for him, someone who's nice. But, you know, as Chris Frangiola <laughs> says, and I'm, he says he says this. And I'm like, I'm sure I said this first because it's okay. something I would say. He's like, the problem is when you're in your 50s dating someone in their 20s. Like, you're not. And I'm like, Chris is like, as I always say. And I texted him like, well, I think you got that from sitting next to me for 10 years at a job. But OK, whatever. but I, but I'm like, you're right. You want a nice 47 year old. You know, I'm 47. I'm barely interested in dating. I'm not dating. I won't give you any problems. I'm not possessive. I'll be podcasting in the kitchen most of the day. We'll have some wine at night. We'll catch up and then just go about your life. Like I got, I'm so tired. I got no problems to give anyone. And I'm still 11 years younger than him. I'm not wanting to be with him, but I'm just saying these famous 50 year olds who think they got to go 20. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and on top of it, a bisexual woman, okay, bisexuals come at me. I don't think it's great to marry someone if you are, uh, if you want a monogamous relationship and you're a heterosexual, I don't think it's a wise thing to get with someone who has had long-term relationships with the same sex. I think you are, that's already got a strike against you for a long-term situation. I'm sorry. I disagree. Now, you don't have to marry bisexual, but I have friends who are bisexual married the, um, opposite gender that they are and literally been married longer than I ever made it. So it's like, you never know. Okay. But uh, to I, me, saying, I don't see... To- and then on top of it, But exactly I don't what see Amber said. as bisexual, let's be honest. I do think Amber is more gay because I don't think she... I don't know what men she was with before Johnny. I'm not saying he was the first. Um, but so it's ironic. She, do you think she just pursued Elon Musk because she's like, she's social climbing. So she got Johnny Depp. She got a, a famous actor. Now let me get like the richest man on earth. Like, you know, like, let me just keep going up the ladder because well, we that, know that's that the she, problem. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's ironic. It's not like she cheated on him with a woman, James Franco, Elon Musk. It's like, she's like, really? I mean, that Elon Musk, like how just ugh. You're cheap. Ugh. So gross. Anyway. Go. Well, I, I mean, I just think she's one of those girls that very much knows how to hook a guy, uh, pr- sexually probably great in the sack, probably mm-hmm. really knows how to hook him in, how to tie him in, like just like a black widow, Venus flytrap vagina. I don't know whatever you want to call it, but she's got it. And she, the other thing I did mention the other day when I was going deep into her assistant's testimony is she said she would make me go out and buy all the tabloids and all the places where she'd been photographed, which was more popular, you know, seven years ago. Yeah. And she'd say, Put, hide them in the garage. Don't let Johnny know that I care about this, that we buy these things. Because he was, being that he got famous at 21 or whatever, he was not a fan of the paparazzi and he didn't like that. And he wanted to have a private life. Why he bought the island. And so he was not one that loved that, you know? Yeah. And so he would, she knows he would have been turned off if he knew that. He, she also, I think, pretended to be a lot more maternal. Um, mm. I think she presented herself like, I'm going to be this super great stepmom, super into your kids. Oh my God, I want to give all my money to Children's Hospital, which she never did, the seven million. Oh, and she didn't. Did not. They could only find that she gave one donation of 250000 And the assistant also said she would cancel all her her volunteering hours. Like she was, <laughs> was set to do it on three occasions. All three occasions she canceled. I mean, I would too. So, I mean, I again, pursuing, presenting yourself like you're yeah. 
Mother Teresa, when you're clearly not, you're not in, you know, you aren't into it. What is wrong with him that he's like, oh, good, I found a woman who dresses just like me. Like, what? You know, that's not a red flag or just like a turnoff at least. I I don't think he, I think when he found her, he liked her for her. I think she started to morph into him. Oh, okay. Or thinking thinking that's what would would hook him even more. Um, But let me, let me get into the, the strong connection that you have towards the real, Johnny One sec. Depp. One sec. We'll just have to make, Sorry, a, make a note. That's okay. Just make a note of this. I just okay. had to re. I just had to pour myself more coffee. Sorry. My real life connection to Johnny Depp. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, why don't you just start right there? The real life connection that you have to him. Well, my mom is a big Johnny Depp fan. <laughs> I just saw her this weekend. We celebrated her 84th birthday. And my mom and dad, they go to the Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut every weekend. And it's not just about the gambling for them. They go, they get free tickets to every show there. Um, and there's, it's not hokey. They've got like rock bands that play. They've gone to see Smashing Pumpkins. They've seen, um, my mom sees Ringo Starr's band play all the time. She's a big fan of that. She's seen Alicia Keys. Get, like, right, to, to, get to the Johnny Depp. Now okay. you're as bad as Johnny Depp on the stand. That's right. Get okay. to the Johnny Depp. So she has seen Johnny Depp's band, The Hollywood Vampires, multiple times at Foxwoods. And uh, this is in the last 10 years. She is a big fan. Okay. And she's always like, he is so cute. He's like, So right after the first breaking news years ago, when Amber Heard said he abused me, I was so disappointed because I've always been a huge fan of his. And I... Felt like I'm sure it's true, you know, these guys. And so Dude, let me just interrupt. Yeah. Do you think because of your strong resemblance to Winona Ryder that you also felt <laughs> that at one time you could be in a relationship with Johnny? Oh, no, I, I, I don't see myself that way. I, I wish, but maybe, maybe now. Okay, you know, All maybe right. not in his heyday. So but, um, anyway, continue. So you're so, so when the story when, broke, yeah, go when on. When the story broke, I told my mom and she said, Oh, it's terrible. And then she still continued to go see the Hollywood vampires play, uh, when, you know, a couple months later. And I said, mom, if you were in the public eye, you'd be canceled for such behavior, you know, supporting this abuser. And she said, Jennifer, I don't believe the story because, you know, he was playing and he was sort of hanging his head down. And I said, that's what all guys do with long hair and they play guitar. No, Jennifer, it wasn't the way he was playing, he looked ashamed. Like it was different than the other times I've seen the band where he's smiling and laughing and looking at the audience. And he just had his head down. Like he felt like he had a secret. And I said, well, maybe the secret is that he's abusing someone. And he said, no, no, he looked sad. I, I think there's more to the story. And I, my mom gives everyone the benefit of the doubt. So I just went, I don't know. Uh, but my mom called it that she could see the shame and that he was hiding something and keeping, well, a, hiding, keeping a well, secret. Do she, but it was because the, that was after the story came out. Did she see him change when yes. he was with her throughout the years being with her? No. She said that during the shows, normally he was very, you know, like he was having fun with the band and they'd be like whispering things to each other and laughing. And, you know, when musicians think it's funny that they play a note and they like look at each other on stage, they're doing that kind of thing. But she said after the abuse allegations came out, he seemed sort of off to the side and just kind of like sat. And so, well, I can see why I actually can see why your mom was not called to the stand because now I don't (laughs) think that's that great of testimony for Johnny's side. 
Well, I that- thought if it was that his demeanor changed while he was in the thick of his relationship with her, but we didn't know that they were going to break up. We didn't know. And then I don't know I would how much say- he was playing during that. That's the thing. Right. He might, I think, but she also said, um, she's a bit, I just, this is just a plug. They're not paying me to say this, but Sauvage by Dior, the perfume he wears, man, that smells good. My dad, I was like, dad, you smell real good. This is at Christmas. And uh, he's never worn cologne in his life. And he goes, yeah, just mom bought it for me. And I said, what is it? She goes, it's a Johnny Depp cologne. I bought it so he'd smell like him. And uh, it, it does smell great. So it's unfortunate, though, that your mom couldn't get on the jury because I would definitely pick her to be on the jury. I just don't think I'd pick her to be an eyewitness. She doesn't need to be. Well, but, and then this weekend I yes. said, Mom, you know, you were proven right. And she goes, oh, it's funny you say that. I'm starting to change my mind and think he, <laughs> I think he did it. I go, why do you think that? And she goes, it's just going on so long. I go, that's not a reason to, it's not his fault it's going on so long. She keeps suing him and he's like finally speaking. And she goes, I don't know. It's like a little too much, you know, like, you know, they fired him from all the movies. I go, but that doesn't mean he did it. And she goes, "Uh, maybe you're right. All right. All right. I just was trying to like be more thoughtful about it. So who knows where she's at right now? Okay. So I'm going to tell you my prediction of how it ends. And my prediction changes all the time, just like your mother's. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think the jury, because it's it's simultaneous, like the case is simultaneously, like yeah. you know. So, I think that they are going to um, side in his favor, but they are only going to make her give back half of the seven million. So I think she will be have to pay four point five million dollars to him. And that's and, it. And, and the $50 million that he's suing for will not happen? No, the, the $50 million will he will only be awarded $4.5. And isn't he suing the tabloids or was that the other He trial? already lost that. That was so in the UK and he lost. This is him lost. suing her personally. Yes. And he, Ooh. yes. Yeah, you know, and I... and, she, and she will obviously be awarded nothing, but she will have to pay $4.5 million. That is I... my prediction think that's a good prediction i'm mm. i haven't thought about it i'll just say yeah you're right i do think that no even if she did do it yeah i, I think there's just a hesitancy to make a woman pay out the ass to a guy that isn't perfect like he has drug problems you know whatever okay good and good so point. i i think that like people don't want to do that and so i think you're right like if she pays anything it'll be like this Half what he, she, you know what I mean? Like, no way is she ever going to be on the hook for fifty million or even ten million. I think you're right. Yeah, he's not perfect. They also brought up text messages that he has said about women in the past using, you know, fat, ugly, whore, and the cunt word, and gold digger, and shrew, and all of that. And then he's like, "Yes, my." And he, in response to that, he said, "Well, my texts are colorful, and I, I write my texts like, you know." literature greats of the I don't it, it sounded like a bullshit thing he definitely has a temper he de- yeah. oh I also want to say I said something wrong on Tuesday's show about the severed finger he, that he when he went to the hospital he said I cut it myself but there I guess there is audio to Amber um kind of confirming his story that she threw not one but two vodka bottles and one of the broken bottles did slice off the top of his finger somehow. And by him saying, I cut it off, it was just like an abuse victim who lies when they get to the doctor because he yeah. didn't want her to be arrested. He didn't want, so he was like, let me just say I accidentally cut off the top, um, like the tip. And um, so, you know, I, I 
kind of missaid that last time. But anyway, we're going to keep watching. Wait, really, yes, really quick. Yeah. I do have a real-life Winona Ryder story where she did tell me he was very sweet. I mean, that's really... Okay, let's yeah. hear that. Basically, just like I met her because I did a Drunk History episode and she was the famous person that did the lip syncing. Oh, and yes. And oddly, she came to... I didn't meet her at all during the filming process because I don't have to be part of it, but I she came to the premiere party of that episode, which is really weird because no celebrities ever do. And she came by herself. I mean, she had like an assistant person that was kind of like secret service style, like kind of off in the distance. And she didn't know anyone, so she went straight to the bathroom. And I was in the bathroom. And she opened the door and she goes, hi! And I was like, oh my God, hi. And we'd never met, but she knew me from watching the video of me being drunk. And she gave me a big hug. And she said she really got into character as this person that I, we were talking about. And she did so, but she also wanted to get into the character of me, like learning how I talk. So she read my books. And she, one of my books talks about like having a crush on Johnny Depp. And I was so embarrassed that that's the one she read. And I was like, you read my book? And she's like, I loved it. And, you know, I don't have kids either. And, and like, we hung out all night. We smoked cigarettes together. We held hands. She loves to hold hands. Um, she had a boyfriend. It wasn't like a gay thing. And we sat at the table, this table together. And then we went out to a bar after. But anyway, at one point I said, I'm so embarrassed. You read that book. And I, I say I have a crush on Johnny Depp. And that's like a real person you know. That was like your boyfriend. I'm so embarrassed. And she just took my hand across the table and she was like, no. And she's like, oh, he's so sweet. He's so sweet, she said. Yeah. yeah. Like wistfully, just like, oh. They dressed, he dressed the the tattoo of, he said, um, because they said, now what about when Amber made fun of your tattoo or said that's an ugly tattoo? He said, well, I didn't, I would never be upset about that because it's like someone saying, I, pointing out an entry in your journal. I see my body as, a journal and I tattoo moments in my life. So I wouldn't change a tattoo. And he's like, well, actually I take that back. I did have a Winona Ryder tattoo and I changed it to Wino forever because I, that's humor and through pain, you got to see the funny, you know, whatever. And, um, but, uh, that's great. I'm glad you had fun with Winona Ryder and I'm glad she didn't steal anything from you. I'm sorry. I didn't I'm always have gonna... anything expensive enough to steal. Well, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad. I'll never forget that Saks Fifth Avenue moment. That was such a when she was on camera taking <sighs> stuff. That must have been after. That was after Johnny Depp, wasn't it? Oh, way after. That was when she was hanging out with Courtney Love. So I think there's. Yeah, that wasn't maybe, a great influence. It wasn't a good time. Yeah. Um, let. I also want to ask you about a very juicy story of Louis C.K. Yeah, you have fought the story, the press, the fans. Uh, so I'm just going to let you tell it in your own words as a female comic. <laughs> okay. Do tell. You, do you want me to tell my story of like all the times I want you to tell. I want you to tell the whole story, the okay. backlash, when it rose up, when you're okay. like, stop calling me about it. And then you're finally like, okay, I will talk about it. It's been a lot of back and forth. It's been a lot. Okay. So basically. And I remember you uh, mentioning yeah. it when we were at the Chelsea Lately days and I couldn't really remember the story, but in the Chelsea Lately days, there was no evidence out there to the public that yeah. Louis C.K. would hit on girls, whip out his dick and masturbate without their permission or with their permission or both. Yeah. There was none of that out there. So go ahead. That's right. I met Louis in the late 90s in New York City when I was just a young thing, 23 years old. 
He wasn't famous, but he wrote on the Conan O'Brien show and he did stand up. And the stand up he did was nothing like what he does now, personal. It was all absurd jokes. And my boyfriend at the time was a really big fan of his. And so he's like, let's go see this guy, Louie. And I was like, no, I don't, it's not really for me, but okay. And, uh, but I knew everyone worshipped him. And we both did a voiceover on this cartoon show that filmed in Boston. And my friend Brendan was the uh, guy who created the show, and he cast both of us in it. So I really had never met Louis, maybe just around at comedy shows, high by, nothing really. I really didn't look up to him at all. I didn't give a shit. He wasn't my kind of comic. I was more of like a Mark Maron fan at that point, like someone who talks about their life. So, But Louis and I are on the same flight, like a little Delta from New York to Boston, 45 minutes, and we're seated next to each other. And he seemed like such a grown-up, like he was ignoring me and reading the newspaper. This was really 1999, and I feel like flights were so much nicer then, and he was drinking coffee and orange juice, and, and he just literally ignored me the whole flight. And I remember thinking, God, of course he's ignoring me. He's in his early 30s, and he's very successful. He's a writer, and I'm just this open mic comic just starting out, and this is, this is how you're supposed to treat you know, younger people. And this makes sense. Okay. I wasn't offended, but that's what I thought. And at this time he was yeah. married, right? I forget if he was married, okay. but I don't remember. I don't know if he had okay. kids yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we get off the plane and I just, I don't remember. I mean, again, so long ago, but I think I was going to probably just get it. There was no Uber or phones or anything. I think I was going to just get a cab at the airport and that was going to drive me to the part of Boston that this little filming was in. And Louie and I grew up, he grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts. I grew up in a town called Needham, right next door to each other. He's older than me. We never met, but both Boston people. So at the airport, he says, first time he spoke to me, he says, hey, we're both going to the same place. I rented a car. Do you want a ride? And I said, oh, that'd be great. So I get in the car And we're driving through his hometown on the way to this recording studio. And he says, I grew up here. And I said, oh, my God, I grew up like a town over. And I want to start talking about, you know, things you talk to someone about when you're from the same town. And he goes, "Uh, that house right there. Oh, my God, the woman that lived there, the girl that lived there, she had these big tits. And I would sit in my room and masturbate and think about them. He's like, but then one time I got to see them. He's like, that house over there. I mean, I don't remember the details. But he was pointing out in that park over there, I got my first blowjob. It was stuff like that. Where Interesting. He was, he was telling me, I think it was even weirder than I got my first blowjob. And it may, don't quote me, but it was more like, here are thoughts that I thought over here. You know, I was in that park masturbating, thinking about someone. And I'm going to interrupt you right now yeah. because I find that so fascinating. Yeah. Because the more we learn about grooming yeah. Whether it's among between consent, you know, a, a age appropriate adults, yeah. whether it's consenting or not, or even with children, oftentimes with children, you hear that the perpetrator, you know, starts to show them dirty magazines or starts talking about sex or lets them see like uh, porn. And it's like, don't tell your parents that you watch this with me because you're going to get in trouble for watching it. That's like a very common thing that like, a, you know, priests and teachers and coaches would do to boys. Yeah. You know, and so then they're like, well, I don't want to, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. Like, so it's, it's, but it's putting those sexual thoughts out there. So continue, go on. I, th- I absolutely didn't think it at the time, but looking back, I go, oh, he was grooming me or yeah. just trying to see what he could do. 
seeing your response. Like if you would have been like right away, if you would have been like not rolling with it and being like, "Um, I'm sorry, that's offensive. Could you please stop? You're grossing me out. He would have whoop. Never said another thing. But because you were being the polite, fun, comedian, cool girl who yep. got a free ride, you're like, ha ha, ha yep. ha. Okay, I was continue. just sort of like, yeah. I, I don't know what this is, but I guess, I, I mean, this happened to me in college when there was like a, a professor that was sexually harassing everybody and he sort of did with me. We got him fired. It was weird because I wasn't like a stranger to this kind of thing. I'd already had something like this happen and got someone fired for it. Like while these women stood up and, and told their stories. But again, it, it like it, the, tr- the, the credits of one weird thing with one man really don't transfer to the next. I'm sitting here going, well, I'm a comedian and you know, this is, I guess how comedians talk. And he probably would say this to a guy, you know, it's right. I thought it was a, one of the guys things, right? I didn't think it was woman specific. Whereas with my acting teacher, it definitely was. But I was like, oh, maybe this is how theater people are. They touch each other. Right. So this felt like something different. And so I didn't like it, though. It certainly wasn't. At the very least, it just wasn't that interesting or cool. I would have rather talked about, like, funny stories about, like, people we went to school with, whatever. So I don't remember anything else. Like, I don't know. We did the voiceover. I don't remember the flight home. Who knows? But now he's, like, someone in my orbit. And, again, really... I don't, there's no memories until we get to LA and I moved to LA in 2002 and then Louie's there and we're on this uh, show at the M bar, which is in a strip mall in Hollywood. And this is before there was an upright citizens brigade theater. So it was kind of like the alternative night or whatever. And I would try to get on that show, but it was like kind of hard to get on. You had to be like cool. And, and, you know, I wasn't in that world. I was like, younger and but I hung out there every Tuesday night and watched the shows and I watched Louis's evolution from doing weird absurd material to very honest material and I saw him become the guy that's like I hate my kids my daughter's a cunt my wife this and I actually found it kind of thrilling as a comedian to watch someone just become really honest and so I was thinking of it more that way. Like I wasn't reading into like, maybe he really is a bad person. Yeah. And so, and I hadn't, and so then like the rumors. So then one night he gets off stage and it was like the first time he really killed with that material. My daughter's a cunt, but he wasn't famous yet. <laughs> and he comes off stage and he grabs me so hard by the neck. Like I'm just standing behind like I'm just in the audience watching, but with, with where all the comics are kind of, but he like kind of calls me over like, and I, I go over and he grabs me by the neck and he whispers to me, I'm going to fuck you someday, whether you like it or not. And I, I was like, okay. And then he walked away. It was almost this, like he was high off the applause and right. wanted to like get more high by like threatening someone or something. And I remember a friend of mine looking at me and mouthing like, what was that? And I was like, you know. Yeah. So then I, it was like little things like that. I, you know, and so then the the penultimate, that's not what the word means, but the, the, the big night was he gets off stage again, same club. I have a boyfriend. And. What year is this now? 2004, I think. Okay. Or three. Okay. It's three or four. Okay. I'm dating this guy who every time he wants to like 
do something like something would come up in my comedy career. Oh my God, I got this gig. I have to do it. Sorry. I'm canceling dinner, you know? And, uh, so I'm like, I'm going to go to this show tonight. And he's like, you're not even on the show. And I'm like, I know, but it's, you got to hang out and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, come over after and like, we'll snuggle. I'm like, okay. So I'm leaving and Louie's like, where are you going? And he's like, we're all going around the corner. Like we do every week for a drink. I'm like, I know, but my boyfriend, like, thing, you know, and he's like, it's 930 or 10, like whatever, like just tell him to come or something. I'm like, no, he's not, whatever. So he, I call him and I'm like, I'm not coming over because all the comics are going out. And, and I'm thinking like, not, it's literally not, this could be good for my career because Louis had no career, but it was just like, everyone's going. Right. I understand. I would yeah. do that stuff. Yeah. And so Louis and I start walking over, but we're not waiting for the other comics. Like no one had started gathering outside yet. And I go, oh, we're walking over now. He's like, yeah, why not? We'll just get, we'll secure a table or something. I'm like, oh, okay. So we go to this bar and the bar has an upstairs and the upstairs, like the, the bar downstairs is normal. There's seats at a bar and the upstairs is all floor pillows. It looks like a hookah lounge, but it's not. And he's like, let's sit up here. And I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, it'll be less crowded. And so he picks this like corner that if anyone walked into the bar and looked upstairs, you wouldn't be able to see us. I go, but no one can see us when they come in. Like they won't know we're here. He's like, they know we're here. Like what are you being so neurotic about? I'm like, oh, you're right. You're right. I really was not thinking anything pervy. I was more just like stressed. Like, you know, I want everyone to come over here. And so we're sitting there. And again, my memory isn't fuzzy of what his intent was, but the exact words he goes, oh, did I ever show you pictures of my daughter? And this is like pre-cell phone. So he like pulls wallet pictures out. And I'm like, oh, does your wife and kid mind that you talk about them on stage? You know, we're talking about that. And he's like, so what would you say if a guy wanted to masturbate in front of you? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I think he's doing, a, I swear to God, I think he's asking me to help him work out a new bit that he's going to try. Because he talked about masturbation all the time on stage. So I'm like honored. I'm like, Louie's running a new bit by me. And like, maybe he'll even use a punchline that I'm going to write. Because he's going to do a bit about a fucking loser that wants to masturbate in front of someone. He goes, well, I mean, what if the guy was like married with kids, but was like, hey, I just want to masturbate in front of you. Like, you know, at a bar or something. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so the guy, and I'm like still talking like it's a bit. And he's like, Jen. And I'm like, what? And he's like, what if a guy wants to masturbate in front of you right here or something like that? Like he didn't say, can I masturbate? You know, and I went, are you at, wait, what? It was like that. And he's like, what? I like doing that or something. He's like, I go, oh, I thought we, oh, I thought we were, oh, what is this? And he's like, well, what did you think this was? We're like sitting up here in a, and I was like, oh, and then at that moment, like a bunch of the comics found us and like someone came over as comics do to like get attention from Louis, you know? So they all came over and sat down and it was like without missing a beat. He goes, I was just showing Jen a picture of my daughter and everyone's like, Oh my God, that's so cute. And I was just sitting there like, this guy is fucking weird. And so I didn't, I think I got up and walked away and was like, guys, 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 I think he just asked me, I think he was trying to masturbate in front of me up there. And they were like, you know, we've heard that like, it it wasn't in that moment, but later on I started telling all these people and most people didn't care. And some people were like, oh, he's done that to people before. And I was like, who? Cause I didn't know these girls cause they 
lived in Chicago and they had done this comedy festival that I was never in. And so I, they were like these girls, Dana and Julia, but I don't even know if I knew their, that's their names, but in the retelling, no one ever said their names to me. And I was like, I don't know who that is. I really didn't. It turned out that like this project that this other girl I'm friends with, Rebecca Corey, we both were up for this pilot that Courtney Cox was producing where Louie, it would be Louie and a woman hosting like a late night daily show kind of show. And it was like, I was down to one of the finalists. I didn't get it, but Rebecca did. And he ended up trying to masturbate to her on the pilot. And we knew each other. And he did that to her like within six months of doing it to me. And we never told each other. Like, so really, I I just kept hearing it. But I was like, I don't know who these people are. So anyway, I just found him more and more like disgusting. And so then um, about six months later, I was on the road as, you know, Greg Barrent. He, he wrote, he's just not that into you. Yeah. I was his opening act on the road. And Louis was following my MySpace or something. Again, this is like 2002, like no internet. 2003, sorry. It's after he already asked me to jerk off. He sends me an email. He's like, hey, I see that you're at the West Palm Beach Improv with Greg. I'm going to be in Miami in a few days. You can be my opening act. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is huge, you know, because he was starting to get big, even though he's like playing clubs. But he's like, and you could do more road gigs with me. Like, it'd be cool to like travel together. You could be my opening. And I was like, fuck, like, and then he just wrote, um, oh, P.S. I'm divorced now. And I was like, well, that tells me something like, because I think that night I said to him something like, you're married, you know, which wasn't the reason I objected to him wanting to show me his dick. It was just sort of like, that's why I trusted him. Like if a guy's married with kids, I, I was stupid enough to think that didn't mean anything. Right. Like I thought they weren't interested in me. So I think that's why he wrote that. And I just said, um. You know, honestly, like I make more at my temp job than I would as an opening act. And um, I, I can't because I really need to make money. And I said, no, but I deep down, I didn't want to because it's not that I thought he was going to rape me or anything like that. I thought he blatantly wanted an opening act that would have sex with him. And I felt if I said yes, but knowing I wasn't going to have sex with him, it would just be annoying to him. Like, you know, and I really, if this is true, I don't be grudge him. I think it's weird, but like, you know, I don't want to be in that back and forth of no, 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 you know? So that's why I said no. And, you know, I think that was really it. Like those were the three things. It wasn't, you know. Well, then there was one that I I sent to you that someone wrote me and said, and I don't know what year this was. Oh, that's right. Yes. So, okay. So that's part of this story though. So okay, let me keep going. So yeah. You know, now it's like I'm just telling people, like, don't go in a room with him. He's a fucking creep, like, whatever, blah, blah. But I was still kind of a fan because, like, you don't have a lot of options. At at that time, like, women were still being kept out of a lot of things. And so you didn't have a lot of role models to look up to. And it was like, I liked the kind of comedy he was doing in a way. And I didn't realize it was, like, totally all him confessing his real whatever. So, yeah. blah de blah I'm doing, so cut to, it's like 2012 now. And I'm on the road in Atlanta and I walk into the green room and it's like a comedy club, you know, that laughing skull place. All these comics just come and hang out. And these, all these young guys, and I walk in and they're talking about how Louis likes to jerk off in front of female comics. 
And I was like, how do you guys know this stuff? And they're like, oh my God, there's so many stories. And I, somehow my story had gotten out and they were telling it. And I was like the one about the couches and the picture of his kid. And I go, wait, that, that happened to me. And the kid was like, that was you. And I said, yeah. And he goes, (laughs) he goes, you know, he's such a fucking asshole. Like I'm going to, I'm going to tell everyone, why don't you speak out and tell everyone? I go, tell them what though? Like I'm telling people to stay away from him, but like, it's not illegal to do anything he did to me. It's just really bad and gross. Right. Um, and they're like, but he's been doing it to all these people. I'm like, I know, but like, literally, when am I going to call the cops? Like, there's nothing. And I hate saying that because then people argue against me can say, well, then it wasn't a big deal. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Um, so the kid tweets, I know for a fact that Louis is jerking off in front of women and blah, blah, blah. Louis was still on Twitter at this point, or he used to check Twitter. And he tweeted that kid or he DM'd the kid and said, call me. Here's my number. And so the kid called Louie. And uh, now, meanwhile, we do the gigs that weekend, me and that kid. I say, please leave me out of this. Do not mention me to Louie. And he's like, sorry, but I have to follow my heart. Like, I'm not going to lie and cover up abuse. And I was like, okay. So I'm back in LA and the kid calls me and he's like, Louie tried to manipulate me and tell me that he didn't do it and that all the women he jerked off in front of gave him his consent. And Louie said, you know, he really uh, wants to talk to you about this. And he said he was going to, you know, give you a call. And I was like, and Louie already had my number. And I was like, okay. And the kid was like, I'm sorry, but I had to mention that I talked to him. I was like, it's fine. I don't really care. And he's like, but that guy's like a psycho. I can tell from talking to him. He's a fucking liar. And he got really angry and he was like trying to shut me down. And he's like, this must be bigger than we even know. And I was like, yeah, maybe. But again, like, what am I going to do? And why am I going to? Again, I wasn't afraid of my career ending. I just, what am I going to do? And there was no social media viral me too. So Louis calls. I don't pick up. Then... It kind of honestly just goes away for another few months. Then I get an email from Louis. I would get it every so often after this. Oh my God, I just saw your episode of Drunk History. It is so funny. You were so funny. And I'm like, it's weird. Yeah. And he just kept writing me. And then he wrote me. I saw you. Oh my God, you were doing a show at the Improv Lab. And I was in the Improv main room. And I watched your stuff. And I'm, it was so funny and I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't have time to say hi after. And then you said, this is where you said, a so this girl, the, a juicy scooper wrote me and said, I remember being at the lab at the improv and it was, which is the smaller room at the improv on Melrose mm-hmm. in LA. And Jen Kirkman was on stage doing her thing. And I just remember Louis standing in the back, like staring at her with his arms folded and to this eyewitness she felt that it was uh, a move that he was hoping that you would see him and be intimidated as Mm. like you know so it's very interesting that there was an element of intimidation and then an element of remember me I'm your friend yeah I'm your friend I'm a fan I can help you so think about that when you're around people and you might want to tell this story 
Think about that, which is like, yep. I mean, it's Harvey Weinstein type of stuff that you'd hear about, you know, like, oh, I'm, come on, I'm your friend. Come on. Like, I'm going to help you get this part. Come on. You know, amazing. Well, and again, I didn't even see him there. So it was like, all right. And I was more yeah. like, oh, I was just working out new stuff. Like, hope you didn't see that. It was probably not funny. But so then, um, so then that keeps going on and, and, you know, nothing changes. So then 2014, my Netflix special comes out and in it, I talk about being divorced and I talk about like how I was horny after I got divorced cause we didn't have sex a lot. And I slept with a younger guy and I did a bit about masturbation. It's very innocent stuff compared to, you know, whatever, Yeah. but that's like, you know, so I'm in Australia doing this comedy festival and Louie is blowing up at this point, getting famous for telling jokes about sex, masturbation and divorce. So here I am like kind of like also doing stuff like that. Not anything to do with him. It was just what I was going through. And all the reviews I got in Australia of my show, because I like performed the show there, were kind of like three stars out of five. And it was all men. And they were like, she's just trying to be dirty to get attention. And my show wasn't dirty at all. And like the New York Times gave it like a nice review. So it was like, there was just a lot of sexism going on. And every interview I did to promote my like run of shows in Australia, they'd say, what's it like being a woman in comedy? And I'm like, I'm not answering this because you're going to, I'm going to say there's sexism. And then the headline's going to be Jen Kirkman says there's sexism and it's not going to be funny and no one's going to come. Do you ever ask the guys this? And it was like, I did a whole day of press. So I go back to my hotel room and I have a bottle of wine or a couple glasses of wine. And I do my podcast that I do where I just talk about my week. And again, I'd only been doing that podcast for about a year I didn't think anyone was listening except my diehard fans. And I turn on the mic and I go, this is what it's like being a woman in comedy is that you have to deal with these fucking questions and your show doesn't get a good review, even though if a man did it, he'd be like called a genius. And I gave three examples of men in comedy that nobody ever followed up with me on. I had one guy who's like a famous nerd comic say, you can't do material about being a dork because you're too pretty. And he screamed it in my face, shaking with anger. (laughs) Then I had another male comic um, make fun of me for writing a book about not wanting kids because it offended him. And these are two beloved male comics, Brian Posehn and Pat Oswalt. Okay. Now, are they friends of mine? Sure. Uh, but, you know, they don't do that to their male comedy friends. Right. And then I said the big one is there's a well-known perv who there's all these rumors about him. I don't know the people he did, but he did some stuff to me and I couldn't go on tour with him because I was afraid he was going to try to have sex with me or jerk off in front of me. And I said, so that is what it's like being a woman in comedy is we're treated differently by our peers and we always have to worry about if we're about to get like yelled at or sexually assaulted. And I said, you know, my manager is always like, you know, um, don't even bother talking about this stuff. These guys are just like, you know, the, the known perv is just a loser like, He's like, don't even bother. It's just going to make you look bad. Like it's going to bring up more whatever. So I go, I I just mentioned that. And I'm like, so the reason I don't talk about it is because I don't have any, like, what am I going to do? You know? So, but that's what it's like. And I put it out and Jezebel, a feminist in quotes website that I've been interviewed by, instead of calling me and saying, Hey, can we talk about your blind item podcast? They run an article saying Jen just outed Louis C.K. And they guessed the blind item and wrote everything I said and then wrote a hit piece on me saying I'm a bad feminist for not saying his name and for not doing more. 
And they completely ignored the whole overview of my point, which was all the types of things men in comedy say, which to me saying you're too pretty to be a dork is just like, it's not just as offensive, but it's bothersome. Um, and I wrote the, and I took the podcast down because I was like, oh my God, like the press was pouring in. It was like, it wouldn't stop. And then they wrote another piece saying, Jen Kirkman probably, did she get paid off? But you know, these people that go, just asking questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And did she get paid off by Louis C.K. to take it down? And it's like, no. So anyway, now Louis is emailing me. Can you give me a call? Yeah. And I say, no, I can't. I don't want you yelling at me. He's like, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm like, whatever you need to say to me, we can do it over email. So this is like a few months later. Now the press is going crazy. Everyone's picking up the story. I'm just trying to stay quiet. So I'm getting it on all ends. People are getting the story wrong and they're saying he jerked off in front of me and I'm saying, no, he didn't. And they're like, why'd you lie? I didn't lie. You got it wrong. Well, he didn't even, you know, or why are you covering up for him? So no one believed me. Feminists were mad at me and his defenders. I had no one on my side in the press. And it was, I was handling it all by myself. I mean, I had a publicist manager. No one knew what to do. And I'm trying to promote like a Netflix special and a book. And everyone's like, you just did this for attention. I'm like, I trust me. (laughs) And every media outlet that I wanted to do an interview with for my special or my book said only if she talks about Louis. So no one cared about my work, whatever. Um, And it, I mean, it literally never ending shit like that. Google alerts on my name, death threats, harassment, little independent theaters I would play would call my agent and say, we're getting a lot of death threats. Does Jen want to hire security? This went on from 2014 until Louie confessed it in the New York Times. So basically, Louie and I were emailing during this three-year period every once in a while. And he completely manipulated me. Like, I can still feel in my body the, the email he sent. He's like, hey, Jen, I saw all the stuff that's going around. And listen, I'm not mad at you. I know I did all that stuff to you. He said, I handed you a pile of shit and now it's your pile of shit to do whatever you want with. And you can talk about it and you can say my name and you can do anything because it's true and it's yours. And then he went through and apologized for everything he did to me. And there was a ton of stuff in there that he never did to me. And now I realized another, another one of his victims, Rebecca, has the same story. He's confusing his victims. Oh, my God. But I was so manipulated because I'd never had anything like this happen that I actually came away from that email like warm and fuzzy thinking, oh my God, he's so great that he even remembers stuff he did that I didn't remember. Like this must have really weighed on him. Like I believed his memory. I didn't even think, no, that's another victim that you shoved in a bathroom or whatever. So, oh my God. I write him back and I say, but Louie, I've been hearing that you actually jerked off in front of people and cornered them and blah, blah. And he's like, do you know who these people are? I go, I don't know anyone's name. That's a thing. Like, I just hear all the stories, but no. And he's like, so maybe it's a rumor. Maybe it's just like, you know, and I said, but you did ask me. And he goes, well, I mean, I, I've said things to other people too, but I don't do that anymore. And I said, so you've never jerked off in front of anyone. You've never physically done anything. He goes, I promise you I haven't. And I said, okay, I guess I believe you. 
And I, I think I made a choice to believe him. And I said, here's the thing. The press won't stop and this isn't going to go away. So do you want to make like, do you want to come on my podcast? I mean, like, I know you're really famous right now. And like, but do you want to do like a joint statement with me? Because people are saying you're paying me off. Like, I just need everyone to know the truth. So they'll stop. And he's like, I can't, I'm in therapy and my daughters and, and I was like, you're right. You're right. Like, I don't want to harm your daughters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, my therapist says, or something like that, like just ignore it. And he's like, you have to ignore it too. You just have to stop talking. You have to ignore it. Like, don't react to anything. Oh my God. I mean, great advice in a way, but we know why he's saying that. So he knew I was close to the target, right? And I believed him. I I don't know why. And so I had one interview coming up with the Village Voice. And they were going to promote my book or something. And of course, they asked the question. And just thinking that, you know what, let's shut this shit down. I said, I talked to Louis. He apologized. He said he did not do this to anyone. He's my friend and I believe him. So then the woman said, well, what about Tignataro's show, something, something, Tennessee, where there was an episode where there was like a guy based on Louis that did the jerking off and the whatever. Now, Tig's a good friend of mine. And I, I'd actually told Tig the story about Louis because she used to work with him on this show. And one day I went to her house. She just had her babies and... And I was like, how is it working with Louie? And you know, we just talked for a minute. I was like, you know that he's like kind of a bad guy, right? And I told her my story. And I said, there's all these rumors he did this to women. And Tig was like, what? Like, she literally did not know. They'd never gotten to her, the rumors. And she was like, so she immediately took action and like wrote an episode of the show about him and like stopped working with him. And she went, Tig did the thing that I didn't do. She went hunting to find um, out who these other women were. And she found them and like she wrangled this entire thing together, I think, and like got the New York Times involved. So I didn't know any of that, that she was doing any of that. Um, so when I said to the Village Voice, he's my friend and I believe him. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, Tig is like doing the real work. But she was really famous too. You know what I mean? Like I, it was different. Like I don't think I could have achieved that. And so... And I feel like I'm making excuses, but I just like, I, I literally you're not, can't. I mean, you're not making excuses. I, I'm so happy that you've told the whole story from beginning yeah. to end. I mean, I think it just makes so much sense. I was always confused by it. And that's why yeah. when Chris and I talked about it the other day, you were like, oh my God, yes. You know, because I was like, I don't want to ask her to come on because she says she doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And like throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. And now I really understand exactly what happened. And I remember also during this time, you had, you know, sold a show to ABC. You had things Mm -hmm. happening and the FX show and you had deals going and you definitely didn't want to disrupt this. And this was before Me Too, which Mm -hmm. now, now it's like such a freedom that we have because I'm like, who the fuck cares? Like, there's nobody that I wouldn't talk about. Out. I mean, there's Me not one person yeah. I won't talk about now. But I will say there was definitely I, I was definitely more guarded even, you know, four or five years ago. Definitely. Yeah. And it's um, not that I thought Louie could end my career. It's that people think you're crazy and they don't want to yes. work with you. They think you're yes. going to be a loud mouth on set. And they think if they walk by you too closely, you're going to like call them a rapist. And it's like, right. no, it's a, yeah. yeah. So I basically like, so the woman, the village voice interviews me. I say, I believe him. He's my friend. She goes, what about that episode Tig just did where she's talking about? And I go, oh, I don't know what Tig's talking about. That's the tone. I said it like, I don't watch the show. Not in a bad way. I just don't watch. 
And I was like, oh, I don't know what she's talking about. I go, oh, well, if Tig knows something I don't like, yeah, I mean, if it turns out that these women come forward, I believe them. But for now, I just don't know them. So I believe, like, I, I have to choose to believe him and just put this to rest. So that article comes out. And then all these articles come out about the article. Jen Kirkman says, I don't know what Tig's talking about. And I'm like, that's not what I meant. So then I had to call Tig and be like, there's all these articles coming out. Like, I did not say anything bad about you. I literally just said, oh, I don't know. Tell me. I thought it was like an off-the-cuff question to the, to the woman interviewing me. And Tig's like, yeah, well, there's a big New York Times story coming out next week. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? She's like, I'll give the woman your info. I'm like, oh, Tig. So like Tig and I like... I made peace, not that we were in any fight yeah. or anything, but I wanted her to know. Like, So then the New York Times calls me, do you want to be in this article? And I was like, no, enough of my fucking name. Like, I think the best thing is if I'm not involved because I want the other victims to like have their moment without my stupid name once again being attached to something. And then when that came out, I tweeted, in regards to my last comments, like, Louis is no longer my friend and I, I don't believe him and he's a liar and he's a sociopath so that was it like that is the fucking story and wow when he confessed i really thought maybe he'll come out and do uh maybe he'll go away for a while and he'll come back and he'll talk about it and he'll donate all the proceeds to whatever but then i realized oh he's always been a sociopath and what he got off on was scaring people and then so lastly um I'd only talked about it in the most unfunny way, as this whole story has proven. And so when I, when I did my comedy album a few months ago, I wasn't planning on talking about it. I have a bit about a flasher. I saw my first penis when I was four years old at the town library. And the flasher had on a Burberry jacket. You know, they used to dress so good. And they'd yeah. open their coat and show you their dick. And so I said, that's been, that's the life of a woman. It's like everywhere you go to do something else, a guy's trying to show you their dick. And I said, you know, flashers used to dress so well. And it came flying out of my mouth as though like a spiritual intervention was happening. Like I was not in control of what I was saying. It was just coming, pouring out. And I said, you know, flashers used to dress so well. When Louis C.K. tried to show me his dick, he was just wearing a shitty black T-shirt. And the audience gasped. And I was like, let's go. And I told them one aspect of the story, which was the bar scene, yeah. And the, the reason I told it is because I'm so tired of hearing people say he asked for consent. I'm like, that is not what consent means. A girl that you sort of work with and you're married with kids, you go to a public bar and ask her if you can jerk off in that bar. That's not asking consent. The whole situation is not with, like, I'm not consenting to being even asked something like that. There's, that's not what consent means. Consent is like, you're my boyfriend and you ask me something, you know? And so he has, so after he apologized in the New York Times, a year later, he comes out with a special called Sorry, which is so gaslighting. And he makes fun of his victims. And he says that he asked their consent and they said yes. And his joke is, what I've learned is if people say yes, you have to ask are you sure? So he totally lied and said that people said yes. Even though the ones that did probably went, uh, yeah, like kidding. They didn't realize he was serious. And so he lied. Well, the point yeah. is with, with the emails that he sent to you and Rebecca, yeah. he doesn't remember his facts or his victims or anything. And, you know, anyway, yeah. so like... Continue. Well, so then yeah. he, he handed his fans a bunch of talking points with that special. So now he goes, I asked consent. So now they go, what's the big deal? He asked consent and you said yes. But, 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 but. And then he goes, I lost 50 million. 
$50 million was not taken out of his bank account. He added up all the deals that he could have gotten. Big deal. Oh, I just lost $100 million. Like, you can just say anything, you know, like... Um, He's still very wealthy. He's never not been a millionaire, blah, blah, blah. And so long story, even longer, I released yeah, my lost album. The, you lost the deals because the behavior that you've been doing finally got out and people knew your real character and your work is based on your character. Your character isn't cute anymore. That's why you lost the fucking deals. Right. And it's like, you know, work, it's like it's a corporate world like yeah. Netflix, ABC, they're corporations. Like if you destroy your own brand what the fuck would they want to do with you? They're not going to make any money. They're not doing right. it to be woke. They're doing it because they're not going to make money because you tarnished your own brand and you're an HR liability because a lot of this stuff he did in the fucking workplace, and I don't mean comedy clubs, he did it on sets and things like that. And so I released the album and I say, oh, isn't this amazing? Like I'm finally doing something that's funny and all these guys that are like free speech, I can just say it's just jokes, you know? And Louis wins a Grammy for that album where he makes fun of his victims the week my album comes out. And so I've got this clip going around where I'm making fun of Louis. So it, the harassment happened all over again. But this time I was like, I'm going to fucking make money off it. Every time I got harassed, I just kept leaning into it, promoting it and being like, buy my album. I was like, fuck it, you know? So it did hurt me. I did have like minor... P the PTSD is not from Louis. It's from people harassing me, you know? Um, and so that's, I did say, I don't want to talk about it, but only to like, I don't want to talk about it to the press, but like friends who have a podcast, of course, you know, and a woman, not like whatever, but it's just so, it's just, it, it, he's just so gross. And like the bottom line is like, I think we need to stop framing it as like, it's offensive. Like he's just a fucking loser. Like what a loser. Just what a loser. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, that this is how he conducted himself all these years and presented himself like, you know, he was such an advocate of women by doing, um, what's her name, the Adlon show, Better Off. Oh, yeah, Better Things. Yeah. Better Things, you know, and. And that um, was his cover, I guess. Yeah, to act like he was this big, you know, advocate of female comics and everything when it was always he had an underlying desire. I bring this up. So many times when I talk about Louis C.K., but I got wind of the movie that he did. I think it has been scraped everywhere. I don't know if anyone can find it. Oh, it's that like black... daddy's girl or whatever? Yeah, it's this black and white film that's very much in the vein of Woody Allen. And he is the voice of um, – he wrote the movie and started it. And he's like the moral voice in it and – his, you know, his wife uses horrible language and his friend is jerking off in front of an executive and his daughter uh, is is pursuing a seven year old man who she wants to fuck. And then when he talks about it, his this other girl that he's with says, I pursued a 38 year old man when I was 17. So the whole movie was put out it was supposed to be put out in the media, but they pulled it because of the scandal. For people to see it like they did the movie Manhattan or whatever yes. that was, thinking, oh, I guess this 
40-year-old man, or in Woody Allen's case, you know, or this 70-year-old man in this uh, Louis C.K. movie, I guess a 17-year-old woman would really be attracted to him and really willingly is mature enough to want to fuck him. And, oh, really, she's the manipulator, and really she's the one that's driving this relationship. Maybe, you know, maybe a Lolita situation is okay. And that is where when people talk about people in media – and it can go to extremes, whatever, putting the ideas in our heads that something is okay. It is so true because you'll look back at movies from 20 years ago and go, I cannot believe this movie was made at a studio, that people put this out thinking that this was be okay for millions of people to see and get in our heads. And so we've all been groomed by things like this. Yes. So I'm like, that was such a grooming mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I wish that the movie could get out because I think if it got out and if more people talked about it, I don't. I think they would st- – who knows? You know what? If they if people like Louis C.K. and the club wants to put him on and the people want to come and pay to see him, mm-hmm. then that is their freedom as a club owner and their yep. freedom as a Patreon and, you know, a patron and – a patron, not Patreon, a patron. <laughs> but, um, but you know, that, that's the right of America and I don't want to see that shut down. But I also love that we're able to talk about it and share our stories and that's why I always say people should share your whole story from your perspective, because it's easier if you say it all and then someone tries to poke holes and they give their version and then you have to defend yourself. So sometimes when I feel like in my career, when when people you know said, I'm going to say this about you, I was yeah. like, uh, you know what? There's a story I haven't told you guys yet. And I'm going to tell you right now. This because good luck trying to come, you know, once I've already shared my side of it. So I think you I really love that you said it and I want people to understand your perspective and what you went through and and you explained it really really well and I never really understood all the nuances of it either and and then how it just kept going like this and people kept going yeah. back and forth and back and forth and and so I want but like everyone. imagine if your fans were so rabid for you that they just harassed people all day and told them to kill themselves. Like, wouldn't you jump in and be like, guys, what are you doing? We're not creating this kind of culture. But he loves it. He but loves I, I, it. I mean, I have been harassed by Selena Gomez robots. And I will never say a, never, a negative thing about Selena Gomez either. It was like th- 72 hours of rat emojis and me having to Ugh. block people. And it was... I get it. I Do don't you think know if these the... people hire like yes, bot farms. Yes, yes. I think Louis first... has hired a bot farm. Yes, because when I when it was first happening to me, I thought, um, wow, these you know these teenagers certainly have a lot of time on their hands. Don't they have to go to Zoom school or something? Like, what? What? <laughs> how do they have this much time? You know. And then I realized whether she's part of it or not, or her team, a hundred percent. That happens and it works. Just it's it's the cyber mafia. It does work. It makes it does get yep. under your skin and it makes you go, God, it's just not worth it. Like it's not. I'll, worth I'll it, never right. talk a negative story about her again because, like, uh, you know, forget it. You know. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think it happens. You know. Well, some and some might be Leah. some might be genuine, but I think yeah. a lot are bought. No, I think they're all yeah. mixed in. I think yeah. like Chris D'Elia is a great example of a groomer. His entire act was to attract teenage girls. He's like, girls say this, like a man in his 40s calling women girls. Like, And then when girls are drunk, they're like this. I'm like, what girls are you hanging out with? Like you sound like you're, this is material that an 18 year old should be doing. Like, right. He wanted like, and that's why I get sad. Like all these like young, young women, like they all, 
like th- th- those are all his fans and then he does that on purpose so he can DM them and blah, blah. Like that's just such a gross business that I'm glad like I'm glad it's been exposed and I'm glad people's eyes are kind of open because once you see it, you're like, you're right. That is right. That was grooming that. Oh, my God. I never thought of it like that, you know, and that's why I like discussing this type of stuff sometimes, you know, because I have to be more patient. Like it is just the beginning of people realizing this stuff. And I'm like, let's fix it now. But but it'll get there. Yes. People will be like grossed out on their own by these kind of people. You know, it's going to take a while. Jen, thank you so much for coming oh. on Juicy Scoop. I miss you. Tell everybody where they can see the latest albums, the books, the podcast. Go for it. Well, something I'm doing I'm very passionate about is my new podcast called Anxiety Bites. It's free everywhere you get podcasts. I'm doing it with iHeartRadio. Um, I love it, and I interview like experts about anxiety, but it's like fun, and you know people swear. And so if you think you need some help, go listen to that. And then I have a new comedy album called OK Gen X. And you can hear that Louis story and funny stories about my mom and Catholicism and blah, blah, blah. And you can buy that on iTunes or Amazon or, you know, just go to um, my Twitter at Jen Kirkman. Everything's in my link there. Jen, thank you. Let me know when you're back in L.A. Let's go out with um, our boy Chris Frangiola and Sarah and anyone else that's in town. I hope to be back a few times between June and July, like a couple of times each month. Hopefully not catching, um, you know, COVID on my flight there. So we'll see. Stop (laughs) being a negative. (laughs) Listen, you're going to come out. You're going to come on our boat. Oh, no, you get seasick. Never mind. No, I don't. No, I don't. What kind of boat? No, on a whale watch. It's not a whale watch, is it? No, it's just around Newport. Oh, no, I won't get seasick from that. I only get seasick on like a whale watch. So just keep me away from like the ocean. I'll come on the boat. And then I'm excited for Sex in the City uh, season two. I will... Probably okay, wait, back before you go, before you yeah. go, yeah. Um, tell me your predictions. Okay. Well, gee, I don't know if I have real predictions, but what I want okay. is what I'm going to tell you what I want. Okay. I want Che Diaz, who is like, the, you know, miss like, you know, politically correct about everything. If you remember in the last episode, she's like, I'm doing a pilot and Tony Danza is playing my dad, even though he's not Mexican. I want her to get canceled for allowing a white guy to play her dad. Um, I want her to have a scandal where it's like, oh, she's Miss Woke, except for, you know, when it's going to be her success. I want Miranda to break up with her and go back to New York and try to do that internship and have her black professor be like, listen, white bitch, like, you can't be like, I want this internship. Oh, wait, now I don't. Like, you're acting the most white privilege ever and you think you're like, you know, helping the world and you're not. I want Carrie's podcast to stop taking phone calls. I... Want no more anyone's kids. Don't care about the kids. No one's kids can be in it. Um, and I want Charlotte to act like whatever's going on with her. I need her to act a little more normal. Like, she, I don't know how to explain it. She seems out of it. Like the, the actress, not the character. She's just saying her, saying her lines weird. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I, I have a, a good storyline for Charlotte that just came into my head. Yeah. I, so the, I don't the have winner, any wait, The winner, yeah. the winner, the uh, older daughter. You know, yeah. that she adopted. I forgot her. Lily. Yeah. Um, she's such a winner. She, after everything, she gets accepted to a bunch of colleges. She's like, I don't want to do college. I don't want to go. I don't want to. I'm not going to do this scholarship. I'm not going to do this. But, but Lily, we, we got you into Princeton and you, and you got, and, and NYU and Stanford. What do you mean? And it's like, that's your dream, mom. I'm not a sorority girl. I did all this. 
and yes. you're letting you're letting Rose be uh what was the boys now Rose uh, being red rock, rock. <laughs> red rock we're let, you're letting Rose be a boy you can let me not be an Ivy Leaguer to fill out your dream oh, and I your it. fancy thing so I I but all your other stuff I love and then the podcast thing I was watching a uh, a complete marathon of the original series um, this past weekend. Oh, and great. the podcast thing just doesn't work because yeah. it's about the narration in her head. So I, I think she just – like either we have no narration or we just get rid of that altogether. But we mm-hmm. definitely do not need to see corny jokes and and, and multiple people talking. Oh, my God. I have to tell you the funniest thing. So I'm with Brandon, my son, and we're getting a salad after a beach day because he's on spring break. And I parked my car and this guy is parks his car. And he's probably like 35. It's just like out in Westlake Village. And I put on my sweatshirt for Juicy Scoop. And how he – it didn't even say Juicy Scoop on it. But somehow he goes, oh, is that merch from your show? And I go, oh. yeah. I go, yeah. I, I, it, and he goes, what kind of show is it? I go, it's a podcast called Juicy Scoop. And he goes – Oh, really? I've got a podcast, too. And he has, like, a pretty nice car and everything. And, you know, we we interview gangsters and – maybe we didn't say gangsters. But he said you know, we interview, like, celebrities, rappers, whatever. And I go, okay, great. So on the ride home, I go, Brandon, let's just – oh, and and the name of the podcast is his license plate. So I'm like, let's just <laughs> let's just listen to it on the way home. And he goes, well, God, they don't have a lot. Right away, Brandon's, like, a podcast expert. He's like – they don't have a lot of reviews, and they only have five episodes at. So I don't know out, so I don't see what how big of a hit this is. I go, let's just listen to it. It is three guys talking about fast food for the first seven minutes. Oh. And then, I mean, and they're like, all right, let's get – I'm like, this is why people think that they can be podcasters. Listen, I don't know how to be a contractor. Yeah. It's like me trying – to drywall something and wire something. <laughs> it's like, just because you know how to speak does not yeah. mean that you can have a successful podcast with your two other friends. Ugh. That is what I felt like they were showing us with the Sex and the City, you know, and just like that podcast. It was 100%. that horrific. It was like an outsider thinking this is what, it's like me thinking this is what it must be like for like contractors to get together and build a house. <laughs> I oh, don't wait, know how I to fucking more- do it. Yes. I have one more. It's not a prediction. It's a suggestion. As we have yeah. these political tensions with Russia, it reminds me of the 80s when yeah. everyone was like, it's not the Russian people. It's the Russian government. You know, right. we still have to, So we need like that kind of we had a lot of programming like Family Ties had Alex playing chess with a Russian guy and they became best friends, whatever. So yeah. Carrie and Barishnikov need to get back together. So Alexander I needs love to, it. Love needs that to come idea. back and say, you know, Paris, it was... Um, I'm so lonely. I don't want to be with you and live in New York. And they get back together and it's like this Russian American romance. And that's also awkward because whoever is in their friend group shows up with like the Ukraine thing on their hat or whatever. <laughs> the Ukraine flag is like flying everywhere. And so it's like, <laughs> awkward. Okay. Last, last, other last thing about uh, the show. Um, wait, who else is there? There's Miranda. Um, oh, all oh. the new characters. I don't care about. Seymour. Oh God. I, I was going to say one other Thing. I can't remember. Anyway, I, yeah. I'm. Oh no, I know. In the original show, you know, because there was so many, so much commentary, which you did great commentary on it too. I loved watching your TikToks and stuff. Is 
uh, someone said, you know, I think the reason there's a problem with and just like that is because when we watched it, these girls were in their 30s and we were watching it as girls in our 30s or even younger girls. So there was a hope of like every episode, is this going to be the one? Who are they going to end up with? Yet they're 30 and they have money and they have cute outfits and they can pay for a full dinner, but they get to fuck different guys every week. What a fun thing to aspire to be, right? Yeah. So then at 55, one is dead. One is, you know, gay and exploring sexuality. Another one, like, is no longer liking her husband and her son. Or is now, Her daughter is now a son. And, like, we're dealing with all this stuff. And it's like, my friends and I are a little bit younger than them. But I'm like, I could not be more happy with my life. Like, I'm yeah. having fun. I finally have some money. My friends and I are, are meeting up. We're, you know, most of my friends are, are happily married. Like, but then again, I guess they thought that wouldn't be enough tension and drama. But I still think we could see these girls at that age. Yes. Having uh, aspiring things. Of course. That, so like, you, have, you have that to look forward to. Like, it even is better. It's even more fun. Instead, it's all this, like, depressing stuff that comes with age. There's, I know, like, some I'm really good things that come with age. Loving my life. Yeah. And I'm just, like, yeah, there's things that, like, there's challenges, but... Like we, yeah, they yeah. can make it funny. Oh, and, and it, yeah. yeah. And the and last thing I was going to say, things. the last thing I was going to say is the other thing I never noticed that people brought up is what a bitch Carrie's character was and how actually unsupportive and awful she was about everything. She was negative about Charlotte marrying Trey. She, they were rude yeah. about it. Like there was one time where like um, Miranda talks about Steve having testicular cancer and she's like, Okay, but I have to go to a farm this weekend, so try to top <laughs> that. Right. Like, every single thing was like, if that was your real friend, you'd be like, fuck you. And so that's why with the backstory of really what's the writer's idea of why Charlotte left, besides them being a bitch to her on set for 20 years, is I was you a really Kim good Cattrall, friend. Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall. Yeah. Not Charlotte, sorry. Kim Cattrall. Um, Samantha, it was like, I was a really good friend to you for a long time, and I finally woke up. During COVID, and we had a fucking COVID friendship breakup because I realized you were an exhausting bitch. And when I didn't have to deal with you for six months, I really didn't miss it. That's the truth. I really agree with that because Samantha was always like the greatest friend on the show. So supportive of everyone. Busiest career. Always made time for people. And like even this season, this new reboot, Carrie was such a prude about sex. It was like, you're a sex columnist, you know, and, and, and. And Charlotte would be like, I blew Harry. She's like, okay. And you know, they do this all the time. They did it in the first original yeah. series too. Whenever someone says something about <laughs> sex at lunch, Carrie uh, cancels it. Cancel my rice pudding. Like, yes, yes, yes. Just can't. I'm like, you can't eat and hear about sex. Like, it's so weird. I think it's like Michael Patrick King. This is the funniest joke in the world. But she's such a prude. Uh, I I didn't realize she was like a terrible person until like recently. I'm like, did I watch yeah. the entire series thinking she was normal? Maybe I was a jerk. To, I don't know. People now realize that Louis C.K. and Karen Bradshaw <laughs> are terrible people. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Jen. I love you more. Thank you so much. I'll see you in a, hopefully a month or two. Yes, I'll see you Bye. in La La. Bye. Bye.